Almighty God, Lord of the universe, even more, our Father, we bless you this morning. We thank you for the privilege to gather together, Lord, not just as people, but as justified people who've been watched by the blood of Jesus, who've been reconciled to the Father. And God, we have such a wonderful peace with you. Peace that gives us complete access to you. Your word is clear, Father. Boldly enter the throne of grace that we may receive what we need in a time of need. Father, our greatest need this morning is you, and that's all that we ask for. You would be our portion. You will fill our hearts with who you are. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. We come to uh, church folks' uh, favorite part of the service. It's time for tithe and offering. And give freely as the Lord has given unto you. We don't give out of compulsion. We don't give out of obligation. We give out of love. Ushers are coming forward at this time. about Jesus besides me this morning. Well, not only should we be excited about the Lord, we ought to be excited to see one another. How about you get up and show some love to some people in the room? Say, I'm glad to see you, glad you came. lot of love in here. Yes, sir. Huh? Okay. You guys can come on now. All right, all right. I'm going to wrangle it on in. Find your assigned seats. Your name should be on it. All right, saints. 
All right. All right, if you find your seats as we're going to uh, have the reading of God's infallible word here in a minute. Are y'all doing Spanish or English first? Spanish? Uh, Spanish. Spanish, yeah, that's my language. All right, good. All right. The first one, I, you know, I'm not that good at that English. So. All right. God's word, ladies and gentlemen. Amen. Um, can everybody please stand up? And open your Bibles. We're going to be reading in 1 John 4, 7 through 10. First in Spanish and then in English. When you have it, please say amen or wait a minute. We're going to wait on you. Use that table of contents, people, if you need to. We will not judge you. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. It's real close to Revelation. So if you're having trouble. If you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say wait a minute. We're moving on. Go ahead and read. Amen. Okay. La palabra de Dios dice así. La palabra de Dios dice así. del Hijo, del Espíritu Santo. Amen. Uh, ya dijiste ese capítulo primera de Juan capítulo 4 versos 7 al 10 amados amémonos unos a otros el amor es de Dios y todo aquel que ama es nacido de Dios y conoce a Dios el que no ama a Dios no ha conocido a Dios porque Dios es amor en esto se manifiesta el amor de Dios para con nosotros, en que aún Dios envió a su Hijo unigénito por nuestros para, para, para que vivamos por él. En esto conocemos el amor, no en que nosotros hayamos amado a Dios, sino que el que nos amó a nosotros y envió a su Hijo en proposición por nuestros pecados. Amén. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In the love of God was, in the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Amen. Amen. Pray with me, church. Father in heaven, God of all grace and mercy, joy and peace and gladness, Lord, as we submit ourselves to your word, we pray that you would conform and transform us into the image of Christ. May you penetrate our hearts that we may understand. May you illuminate them, Father, so that we may enjoy it. We ask that you would do what only God can do, transform us. In Christ's name I pray. And everybody say? You may be seated. Meghan, Princess Meghan Markle, a British royalty, sent social media into overdrive when she was spotted closing her own car door during her first solo event. Arriving at the Royal Academy of Arts, Meghan stepped out of her car, then she shut it behind her. Some praised her down to earth, 
for her humble attitude. While others joke, she may put some out of a job. Adequate expert William Hansen pointed out that this was not, in fact, a protocol breach. Usually, if you are a member of royal family or dignitary, you have a member of staff to open and close a car door for you. He said this was for security reasons rather than airs and graces. As shocking as it may be to the world to see an earthly princess close her own door, it is even more shocking to heaven to see someone who claims to be born again to be a stranger of love. Friends, few things are more shocking to heaven than a loveless Christian. Okay, say amen, say ouch. <laughs> Friends, if heaven had social media, those who claim to bear the name of Christ but did not bear the fruit of love would certainly find themselves on heaven's trending list. Church, John is clear. In his text this morning, as Pastor Charlie, Charlie Dates puts it, lovelessness is godlessness. Let me say that again. Lovelessness is godlessness. The basis of his argument seems to be that love for the born-again Christian isn't something we just do, but it is the very nature of who we are. Are y'all with me this morning? John wants to drive this point home this morning. Love is both our identification as children of God and verification that we have a legitimate relationship with God. Let me say that again. Love is both our identification as children of God and verification that we have a legitimate relationship with God. First point this morning is love is evident of regeneration. The verse says, drop your eyes down at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever love has been born of God and knows God. You know what? I'm so glad that this verse doesn't command us to love vertically, but to love horizontally. In many ways, we think we are good vertically, but not so much horizontally. Horizontal love is a whole different story for us. It's easy to say I love God. It's hard to love the person next to you. But to not love horizontally is to prove you don't love vertically. Christianity is not a call just to love God, but to love one another. Furthermore, we are called to love with a divine love, not just any kind of love, but a divine love, not a human love or a self-love, but a selfless love, to love a love that seeks the best of the recipient. We ought to be consumed with passion for caring for one another. Only love that comes from God will produce this. In this verse, John closes the mouths of those who say, I love God, but I can't stand people. He puts a muffle on those who say, just because I don't go to church, just because I don't love the church, 
Doesn't mean I don't know God. He zips the lips of those who shout the praises of God while shouting the hatred of their fellow worshiper two rows down from them. John silences those who claim to be religious while treating people like garbage. John essentially says silence. Uh-oh. Little Marty Marty came to my head. Y'all remember Dragonfly John? Silence. Silence. Got nothing to do with the sermon, but no. Sometimes it just comes up in you, you know. I can't, I can't help myself. That's that Adam coming up. That's right. In this verse, John is clear that it doesn't matter if you hit a lap around the church. It doesn't matter if you stand up and shout. If you do not love your brother, you do not love God. I love the way one preacher puts it. To claim that we know God is to evident that we are in relationship with him by manifesting his invisible presence in our everyday treatment of one another. Friends, lovelessness is godlessness. Isn't it ironic that John, in the broader context, of verse 7, with Star chapter 4 out, we're talking about spiritually fake people. John makes no bones about it, that there are fake Christians everywhere. Keep looking at me. Everyone who claims to know Jesus is not from Jesus. But John says here in verse 7, if you want to know if they are the real deal, see if they go to church. He doesn't say that. You want to see if they're the real deal, see if they pay their tithes. You don't see that. You want to see if they're the real deal, measure the square footage of their home. He doesn't say that. Does he say, see if they're theological giants? No. Instead, he says, see if their love towards those who bear the name of Christ is a consistent theme of their life. Because if love is a consistent theme of their life, you can be sure they have been born of God. Now hold up, John. Because you just dropped something on us, born of God. Hold up, wait a minute. Because what does that mean, born of God? I don't remember being born of God. I remember being born of my mother. But I don't remember being born of God. Well, what born again essentially means is to be saved. When we are born again, old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And one of those new things is this, that we become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. That's nothing but a summary of 2 Peter 1.4. And since one of the chief aspects of God nature is love, God's children will reflect is love. I know a giraffe came from a giraffe because it looks like a giraffe. It eats like a giraffe. It walks like a giraffe. I've never ever in all of my life seen a giraffe with a short neck. Can you imagine a giraffe with a short neck? Never seen it. And I know that you are from God because you'll look like God. God is invisible. So how do we know if someone looks like God? Love, friends. 
Salvation brings about a loving nature. This is not optional. It comes with salvation. If someone looks like God, they will be a loving person. And this nature produces love, not just in the past, as many of us like to point to what we used to be. But this love will be produced even in the now, in the present. And we know this because in verse 7, that, that word born is in the perfect tense, signifying the permanent effect of the new birth. In other words, everyone God has saved in the past continues to give evidence of that fact in the present and will continue to do so in the future. John is saying you can bank on it as surely as a giraffe will act out the ways of a giraffe because it's from a giraffe. You and I will act out love because we are from God who is love. In other words, everyone born of God will not only today but tomorrow grow in the fruit of love. Now watch Jesus divide the sheep and the goat by using acts of love as a distinguishing mark. Believers from unbelievers by what they do. Here in the gospel, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from another as a shepherd separate the sheep, sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right. That's why I want to be. And he will place the goats on his left. You don't want to be over there. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. That's a sermon all by itself. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Why? For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And in, in when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, surely I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Friends, lovelessness is godlessness. If there's one question at this point in my study. Paul, uh, John points that love is the identification of God's children and the verification of their knowing him. Then the question is, what is love and what love is he talking about? Because we all know unbelievers who go to the prison. We all know unbelievers who feed the hungry. We all know unbelievers that clothe those who are naked. So what is the distinguishing mark of love that John is talking about? My next point, no love. No God, no love, no God. Anyone who does not love, in verse 8, does not know God because God is love. 
God is love. Now, when John uses the word love here, he uses the word agape. This is a divine love that comes only from God. You know, in our language, it's hard for us to really capture the distinguishing word love here because we use love for everything. I say I love my tacos, then turn around and say I love my wife. <laughs> but when you get into Greek, they got a love for everything. They got a, uh, what is it? Uh, I can't even think of it right now, but they got agape. They got, come on, come on. Now y'all better be practicing those things now while y'all rattling them things off. Let that conviction sit for a moment. When John uses the word love here, he uses the word agape. This is divine love that comes only from God. Agape is an unconditional love. It is an active, dynamic verb, not an emotional feeling per se. And here in the present tense, calling for this to be one's lifestyle. Agape is part of who we are if we are born again. This is not like falling in love. You cannot fall into agape. Our choice to love as God's children is not contingent on a great day or good vibes or anything outside. It comes from our innermost being. It is a love that we cannot explain. It is incomprehensible. We can't put words to it, but it is a love in our inner being that moves us to love people. We are increasingly walking in it. That is agape, a selfless, redemptive, powerful love. A love that is continually looking away from self and pursuing the good of other people. So when John says anyone who does not love, he is saying anyone who keeps on not loving by being selfish and prideful and self-seeking and about their own glory cannot be from God. Y'all look like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Let me put it plain. Anyone who keeps acting like the devil can't be from God. They false flagging. That ain't the real deal. Like when you go to that jewelry store when you're young and you get that chain and it turn your neck green. You got to find out the hardware. It ain't real. You was looking fresh, brother, but not no more. I'm not sure if y'all caught that, but. John makes it clear that the very definition of love is God. Some of you may remember this movie. It was called Hansel and Gretel. I kind of love that movie. And this movie was famously known for leaving a trail of breadcrumbs. The purpose for that was so that they would find their way back to where they started. If love was to leave a trail of breadcrumbs, for us to trace back where it came from, we would find ourselves at the feet of the Almighty. Why? Because God is love. We don't get to decide on what love is. You cannot know love until you know God. To be a stranger of love is to be a stranger of God because God is love. Love is not merely an attribute of God. It is the very nature and being of God. Note that the Bible doesn't say love is God. As if love gets to define and dictate who God is. Instead, God dictates and defines what love is. Friends, love has a name. Love can be identified. Love can be pointed to. And it can be pointed to in the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
hear me well, lean in. Any definition of love that you receive that is out of alignment with God's word, I don't care how many goosebumps it gives you, it is a counterfeit. It is not real love. Real love, friends, can only come from God. Friends, to know God is to know love. John's talking about not just knowing God through facts, but he's talking about knowing God on an intimate level. You can be in church and never be into God. You can be around God and never know God. You can read his word and not know God. The Pharisees knew the Bible inside and out. They knew the scriptures, but they didn't know God. John is talking about an intimate relationship with God. I wonder if I had some people in here that wanted to press past just religion, that wanted to press past just church. I don't want to just talk about God. I don't want to just shout about God, but I want to know God. God. I want to know him more than I know my wife. I want to know him more than I know my friends. I want to know him more than I know my bank account. I want to know God. In fact, if I go to church and God ain't there, I don't want to be there. If God ain't around, I don't, oh, I feel, I feel the voice of Moses in my ears. He says, if you send me to the promised land flowing with milk and honey, oh, 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 Moses, it's going to be dope when you get there. I'm going to have everything set up. It's going to be real nice. And Moses says, that's good, God, and thank you for that but if you ain't going don't you send me over to comfort don't send me over anywhere because if you're not there I don't want to go there I wish I had some Christians in the room that said God don't send me anywhere unless you're there there's a difference in knowing of God and knowing God and John makes it clear that those who love have come to a real knowledge of who God is John is simply giving us a paternity test here. Let's get real. When my wife had our daughter, a couple years ago, I was in the room. And I love being in a room when our babies are born. I was so happy when Lila came into the world. But there's always this question lingering, lingering in the room. There's always this question when you post the pictures on Facebook. Who is that baby going to look like? And of course, the fathers are like, he better or she better look like me in a couple weeks. The baby look like everybody when they come out. You don't know who that baby is. You don't know who they is. Who they, who, I don't know, cuz. Uh, but as time goes by, the baby ought to look like those from which it came. Why and how? Because DNA, the baby has to look like mommy and daddy because it came from mommy and daddy. Does the baby get to choose? No. It's how DNA works. What, oh, what happens on the Maury show? <laughs> Maury, I know, I know he the, I know he the father. Look at, they walk over to the screen, look at his nose, Maury. And look at his eyes and his lips. He looks just like his daddy. And then cuz in the background, hey, my kid, man. Back to the block after this. I don't want nothing to do with her. Blah, blah, blah. And then he brings the DNA results. Oh, he brings her. The man is shaking. The woman is down like this. And if he says he's not the father, she runs to the back and falls down. And I'm trying to figure out why. You know what you've been doing. 
And then when they say he is the father, he all surprised, brother, you know what you've been doing. And so you knew that there was an opportunity that this could be your kid. In other words, what John is saying is when God reads the DNA test, if he doesn't see a strand of agape, God is not the father. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they do. If there's no love in your DNA, God is not your daddy. He's not your daddy. Who's your daddy? God's not your daddy. If ain't no agape in you, if you just as mean, just as selfish, God ain't your daddy. <laughs> Talking about some, I look like God, don't I? No, bro, you don't look like God. You ugly. You your daddy, son. Uh, the individual who does not have DNA of agape cannot be born again. They have not been regenerated. Beloved, anyone who is from God loves, for lovelessness is godlessness. Now at this point in my study, I'm doing a full examination of myself. Because I'm trying to figure out if God's my father. I need to know. It's easy to examine everybody else. It's easy to look at the person next to you and try to figure out whether they are, are, are a child of God. But sometimes we need to slow down and check our own hearts and say, am I a child of God? And so y'all got to understand, at this point in the sermon prep, I'm in my feelings. I'm like, God, I, sometimes I see traces of agape, and sometimes I don't see traces of nothing. I go days and sometimes weeks, and I don't see the love of God. I'm all about Dexter. God, I need to know if I belong to you and then it dawned on me that the person who was writing this text the person who was pending this text was John the beloved John goes out of his way and he calls us beloved beloved means very much love now hold up wait a minute if you knew who John was prior to this letter you would wonder whether he was a child of God John wasn't always as loving as you think that he was he was not always doing as God asked him to do. John was a trip too. In fact, those who would have read the letter, who knew John way back when, would have said, this joker right here, John. John. Y'all remember John from high school? John, John was a, I mean, he was a fool. John, John was no good boy. And so it's just, some of you can relate to that because as Christians, people are surprised that you are what you are. And they say, I know where you came from, but you don't know where I came from because I've been regenerated. And so I did come from my natural mom, but God did a work in me. He transformed me. Let me go back to John. Let me show y'all his life for a minute. John was a hothead. John was a hothead. Watch this. This, dude, this is crazy. I was just like, you a wild boy, John. Watch this. Watch this. This is what he says. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? What happened was is Jesus is going to Samaria on his way through to Jerusalem, and the Samaritans reject him. And John said, oh, y'all ain't going to do my homeboy like this. Hey, Jesus, what you want us to do? You want us to call down fire from heaven? We'll kill them all right now. What's up? We, we ready. We riding with you, Jesus. And Jesus says, John, 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 calm down, bruh. I ought to call down fire on you. 
and he wheels him back in. But Jesus displays before John a love he'd never seen before. He displays agape love. Jesus rebuked John's request. Instead of Jesus calling down fire on the Samaritan who rejected him, who did not love him, Jesus will later go and die for them. John seen a man love his enemies like he never seen a man love his enemies before. John is a witness, an eyewitness of agape love in the flesh. And that love over time got down into the being of John. And now, decades later, we don't see a John calling fire down. Instead, he's calling love down. Because agape, when it gets inside of you, it will cause you to love your enemies. It will cause you to forgive. You'll be looking at yourself in the mirror and say, I can't believe I love her. I can't believe that I love him. I can't believe that I'm doing this. But I'm doing this because the love of God, when it gets down inside of you, it's never, you're never the same Again, John wants us to believe God's love for us the way God loved him. It is important that you know in this short epistle, John uses the word love over 30 times. He expands on three subjects of love. God's love for us, our love for God, and our love for one another. But now John wants to point to us. The love of God, the love that God has shown to us. Why is this important? Because when we become secure in the love of God, we are free to love ourselves and one another. Because if we are honest, to love anyone is to take a risk. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Can we be real? Some of us say, Pastor, I hear you about love, but I got to be honest this morning. I've been hurt in ways that you don't understand. I've been betrayed in ways you don't understand. I got sorrow and pain so deep that I'm afraid if I open up again that I may be hurt again. And so I've been on the defense. I have drew back from ministry. I drew back from church. Some people have been hurt by church, so you stop going to church for a while. And John wants to tell you that you are loved by God. Friends, the freedom from hurt and pain and guilt and condemnation is knowing the love of God. When you know that you are loved by God, you will love for God. I want to pause there. The reason being because as a pastor, you know a lot of pain that people are going through. And we come to church and we smile, but you'd be surprised what people are going through behind closed doors. Can I encourage you to go get the help you need, get the counseling that you need, and you're free to go get it? And you don't have to worry about rejection because there is a love that's flowing towards you and God that can never be taken away. John is clear that lovelessness is godlessness. But I'm so glad that John doesn't leave us to ourselves. 
He doesn't leave us pointed to our love, but he turns the spotlight and he fixes it on the love of God. God shows his love for us in two ways. His love was manifested in the incarnation. Anybody in the room ever doubted God's love? You ever wondered if you were truly part of the beloved? Anybody in the room ever been hit so hard that the love you thought you had for God became hazy? You ever thought that you were a child of God and your love for others became crippled? But John doesn't leave us to wonder about whether God loves us or not, but instead he points us to a certain reality. Look at verse 9. In this the love of God has been made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And that's a mouthful, but let me see if I can simplify it. And this is love of God. that He is manifested among us. The word manifest here literally means was brought to light. God brought his love to light. God conveyed his love. God uncloaked his love. God brought his love into the light when when he sent Jesus into the world incarnate. You got to understand in the Old Testament, God's love was a little hazy. You couldn't really tell whether he loved you or not because the the, the sacrificial system, the blood of of, of sheep sheep and goats, and and he also sent Moses, and and he also sent David, but all of them were not God's love incarnate. It's sort of like this. When your mama send you $20 in the she says, baby, here's $20 just so you know that I love you. But it's one thing when your mom sends $20. It's another thing when she shows up at your doorstep and she traveled from out of town to show you that she loves you. Church, I came to tell you that God said, I'm done sending man. I'm done sending animals around Matthew chapter 2. He said, I'll become a man myself, wrapped himself up in flesh, and he sent himself to us. And he showed up. And says, I love you this much. But not only did God just show up, Jesus wasn't just born into the world. Jesus was sent into the world. God sent them with a purpose. God had a plan when he sent his son into the world. And so not only does God love manifest itself through the incarnation of Jesus, but it also, it, it, it also is revealed in the atonement of Christ. Oh, friend. When Jesus came, he came on a mission. He wasn't like those bulls and goats who were forced to the altar. He came on his own. Nobody forced him to come. In the Old Testament, the priests were known as the propitiators, but Jesus came as a propitiation. And so the propitiator would come and offer the sacrifice to God, which is where we get the word propitiation. Propitiation means what? To turn away the wrath of God. So the bulls and goats would turn away the wrath of God, but they could only do so for so long. But John says in his gospel, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What's going on, John? Well, the real propitiation that turns away the wrath of God was coming into the world. But not only was Jesus the propitiation in the sacrifice, he was the propitiator. In other words, Jesus was the priest in the sacrifice. And so when he walks into the holy of, of holies, he doesn't offer a lamb. He walks in with his arms wide open and say, God, I come to lay down my life for them. I come to die for their sins. He wasn't pressured. He didn't, God didn't have to argue with them. He willingly opened up his hand. Friends, if you want to know if God loves you, 
Stop looking to your circumstances. Stop looking to your situations. Stop measuring the square footage of your home. Stop looking at your bank account. Stop looking at who affirms you. You turn your gaze to the cross of Jesus Christ because on Calvary, it says that God loves me. I don't know about you, but when they put nails in his hands and a nail in his feet and they pierced his side and a crown of thorns on his head and he hung his head to die, God was saying, I love you. How much, God? How much do you love me, God? I love you with everything. I love you with everything. Friends, I cannot push this hard enough. There are times in my walk when I feel that I don't know if God loves me. I do some things and I doubt whether God loves me. And when I begin to look at what I do, there's no confidence there. But when I look to the incarnation and the death of his son, it closes the mouth of the enemy. And I'm reminded that God loves me. Indeed, he does. But friends, it's not enough to look at other things. We must look at the cross of Jesus Christ to know that God loves us. Friends. God is love. You've never seen him. You never touched him. You never had a physical side-by-side walk with him. I know some of y'all think y'all did, but that may have been something else. And you come to the altar, we'll get that out of you. We've never seen God because God is invisible. But scripture is clear. You do see the person next to you. You do walk with the person next to you. You do see the widow and the orphan. You can touch the homeless. You can, do, you can, you can see the struggling teenager. You can see the children at Awana. You can see your wife and your husband. You do see your enemies. Well, no. If you see God in your heart, we'll know if you see God in your heart by the way you treat people. And we don't care how much you come to church. We don't care how many tithes you pay. If you want to know if God lives in you, you need to ask yourself, do I see his love moving inside of me? I'm going to say this last thing, and I'll be in my seat. This past week, I was using a steam cleaner. The steam cleaner I got is a quiet machine. Then I got another machine that I use to clean carpet with. And that machine is extremely loud. And my son, Dakai, at times will come out and ask me questions. He'll say, Daddy, what's that? To which I said, son, that's a steamer. He said, Dad, what does that do? It makes steam on the inside so I can clean. At this point, you see his eyes kind of wandering around all over the place. And he asked, Daddy, why isn't it making noise like the other machine? To which I said, that machine is a quiet machine. Then he said, how do you know if it's making steam on the inside? I pointed to this little light on the machine and said, son, you see that little light right there? That little light on the outside tells me that something is going on in the inside. <laughs> Friends, we can't see God inside of you, but there ought to be a little light about you that tells us that there's a God 
down on the inside. Y'all can come back at this time, worship team. The old folks used to put it this way. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. If God is on the inside, there ought to be a light on the outside. And there's no light on the inside, on the outside, there's no God in the inside. Pray with me. Father, this sermons like this are convicting. It causes us to pause and search our hearts. It makes us think deeply about our salvation. Your word is clear. That lovelessness is godlessness. May it never be among us. May we be people of love. Not love by our own measurement, but love that is defined by the word of God. And we pray, God, that you would work in us in such a way that your love will be evident. So that we may bring praise and glory to your name. Father, we declare this morning that this little light that you've given us, we're going to let it shine. We're going to let it shine to the glory and praise of your magnificent name. Be ye glorified, God. Through your people, help us. We are weak and hopeless without you. We cannot do this without you, God. We have failed in so many ways, but we pray this morning that you would work a good work in us, that we can see the orange switch and know that you're inside of us. We thank and praise your blessed name. Amen.